Before we start our regular podcast, I want to do a bit of a shameless plugging um, of a new book that's coming out in July this year, uh, entitled The Practice of Twainar, Principal Diagnostics and Working with the Sinew Channels. It's a book on uh, Chinese medical bodywork, or, or Twainar, push grasp therapy, um, that's a common part of Chinese medical studies. And it's written by Rob Aspel, who I often uh, share these podcast uh, shows with. I actually wrote the foreword for the book. Um, but Rob Aspel put the whole thing uh, together, and he's a little bit, uh, I don't know, he's, he's not the sort to sell himself. So I said to him, you know, why don't we uh, tell people about your book on the show? And he's like, oh, no, no, you can't. I don't want to market myself. I don't want to sell myself. He's got too much integrity. So I waited till he wasn't here, and then I, I did it for him. Uh, so there we go. It's done now. Shameless plug is now done. The practice of Twainar, principles, diagnostics, and working with the uh, sinew channels released in July this year. So it's a, it's a book that's uh, basically discussing uh, Twainar uh, massage or bodywork um, as a medical system. So most people who study acupuncture at some time come across uh, Twainar practice. Um, and a lot of people who study acupuncture have sort of uh, a background in Twainar bodywork as well. But what you often find is it's kind of an adjunct. It's kind of tapped on the end, you know, like it, it's not seen as a whole system in its own right. Um, and then you get other forms of Twainar which are taught much more like a sort of Western remedial relaxing massage or something uh, with no basis in Chinese medicine. It's more like just learning a series of techniques to release tension and through the channels. But in actual fact, Twainar has its own diagnostic methods um, that are as complex as acupuncture's. It uses the palpation, uh, uses the pulse, it uses the tongue uh, to diagnose the quality of the patient's health. And then it has a whole series of uh, principles that guide how you then apply your treatment in order to help clear the patient's channels, uh, make sure their chi, their blood are harmonized and check there's no pathogens or anything within the body. It's, it's quite a complex medical system. It's a bit of a shame that it often gets turned into, like, say, just a relaxing massage or something, because Twainar should be a, a full medical system in its own right. On top of this, it has its own uh, theory base that people are not often familiar with, um, which is that it doesn't use the same channels as acupuncture or something. Um, not, not, not really, like maybe a little bit, but it's not its main uh, way of functioning. And it surprises me when I look at a lot of acupuncture, no, sorry, when I look at a lot of Twainar books, um, they just map out the channels on the body uh, as if it's an acupuncture book, like it's the same channels it's supposed to be working with. And that's not really how Twainar works, because Twainar should work with the sinew channels, uh, the jing jin lines that run through the body, which are a little bit different. They function differently to the normal channels. Um, they have their own uh, diagnostic process that often isn't discussed um, within Twainar teachings, I don't find. Um, and they have their own way of understanding how the body functions and how these sinew channels uh, govern the musculoskeletal nature of the body as, as well as um, how it sort of understands strength and health. On top of this, the book also discusses lots of things that are quite important to me, sort of mental qualities um, and, I guess, trained physical skills that you need to be an effective uh, Twainar practitioner. So it's quite comprehensive. Right at the end, it goes into uh, specific treatment protocols um, for everything from digestive disorders and gynecological disorders uh, through to mental and emotional problems, psychiatric side of uh, body work, which a lot of people don't realize you can treat uh, psychological uh, or disorders with a, a very physical manual therapy, but that's certainly the case. So I think it's quite a, um, 
quite a special book really and I think that it's going to be quite important to people who practice Twainar um, especially as I think that quite often people haven't been given the full picture of how Twainar can work work as a, a therapeutic modality and, and how it has its own unique uh, Chinese medical background and its own theory and its own ways of working so I can highly advise it um, plus I wrote the forward so you know I'm going to be a little bit biased um, but yeah for the last time then it's the practice of Twainar uh, principal Diagnostics and Working with the Sinew Channels by uh, Rob Aspel. Um, and you should be able to find it on Amazon easily enough. It's published by Sing and Dragon. Um, Sing and Dragon generally get their books uh, into all of the major uh, sellers. So uh, check it out, go find it and pick it up in July. When people start to practice things like uh, Qigong or Tai Chi, um, they often start to read around uh, the subject and then other things start to appear, don't they? You start to hear about Chinese medicine, uh, you know, and you start to hear about Taoism and Buddhist philosophy that influence these arts. Maybe you come across the I Ching, uh, the classic of change, or, or one of the uh, subject areas that people tend to encounter when they come into these arts is Feng Shui. So most people already have an idea of what Feng Shui is. Um, sometimes these ideas are accurate, sometimes not. Uh, often it's seen as a kind of form of interior design, and, and certainly in modern interior design, um, a lot of feng shui principles, ancient Chinese uh, principles, have been absorbed uh, into, into the interior design because definitely, even if you ignore the deeper aspects of it as a practice, uh, then, you know, it can already make a space uh, aesthetically a lot more pleasing. Certainly the, the, the Chinese uh, style of organizing gardens and buildings and things like this is, is aesthetically pleasing to a lot of people. But feng shui goes deeper than this. Um, and I, I, I've studied feng shui alongside what I do. I wouldn't say it was a, a main interest of mine, but I, I guess in the background over the years I've been studying it a fair amount. And, and I guess I... Um, I've developed more of a respect for it as time goes on over the years. And and funnily enough, it's interesting that it's uh, one of the most common things I'm asked about uh, outside of direct questions about Tai Chi and Qigong. Uh, when people ask about associated subjects, Feng Shui comes up an awful lot. A lot of people want to understand how it works, you know. One of my earliest Tai Chi teachers was, uh, was really into Feng Shui. So initially, I just have sort of absorbed knowledge by... Uh, being around him and, and understanding how he worked um, and then gradually I added to that that knowledge myself. Feng Shui causes a lot of confusion for people I think partially because uh, obviously it's very to a lot of people it's very esoteric I mean most people will understand that it's trying to govern the chi within an area um, you know and I think it also causes confusion uh, because I think Feng Shui is quite convoluted. There's so many different schools of thought and so many different ways of working, and often they've been sort of absorbed into each other. And, and some are more, some systems are more esoteric than others. Some are based on astronomy, um, others are based upon uh, the land forms around you, the mountains, and, and things like this. Others are based more on what I call, it's not the traditional name, but cognitive Feng Shui, um, which is what I want to explain a little bit uh, today. I don't want to go into the esoteric side of sort of astrological dates and timings of feng shui because it's a little bit complex and also i think it's a bit beside the point i think with any topic that you're looking at you always need to look at the jiben gong the foundations first um, which maybe jiben gong is an odd term to apply to something like feng shui but for me that's how it works you know it's, it's a foundation uh, aspect to the study that you need to become familiar with before all of the other parts are looked at all of the esoteric parts 
So feng shui, just in brief, because I'm sure most of you know what it is, translates as wind and water, feng shui. Um, and it was a, a way of trying to uh, understand how the influencing energy of an environment had an impact upon you. Ultimately, that's what it was, you know. So the wind and the water they're talking about, some people say it's to do with the sort of uh, literally water formations around you and maybe about how mountains and hills um, you know, affect the, the air, air currents, the wind or something. But to me, it's not about that. Um, really, the, the wind and the water represent two qualities, and that's yin and yang. Um, so often within uh, Chinese medicine, when they talk about the channels of the body, uh, the way that the qi moves uh, through the Jinglu or meridian system, if you want to call it that, they liken it to rivers and lakes and bywaters and things like that. And a lot of the uh, terminology and names for the acupuncture points uh, represents environmental bodies. You have hills and mountains and rivers and things like this, right? So uh, within feng shui, they're alluding to the same thing. Uh, essentially, the way that the yin energies or currents move through an area, the denser forms of energy uh, is likened to water. And the way that the yang ethereal fast changing currents in an area uh, impacted is likened to wind. Wind is more yang, more ethereal. It's not. It doesn't move through gullies and canals and and, uh, and things like this, riverbeds like like water does. Uh, it's in the air and it's more around us. If we want to look at what that actually means and take it maybe into a little bit more of a practical context, what they mean by that is like, okay, so how is the yin affected in your body by the environment or the water? Um, which to me means sort of denser qualities or essentially the body. How is your physiological health impacted by the area you're within? And we can't really deny that our body is impacted by the area that we're in because, I mean, you can talk about everything from air quality, maybe due to bioelectric fields living underneath power lines and things like this, uh, right the way through to more sort of subtle bioelectric fields created by the environment that we're in, by landforms and things. So this, this would be yin, affecting the body. How is the water affecting your body? Okay. So not literal water, metaphorical, right? Yin, dense things in the body. Then you have the wind, which actually uh, has more of an impact upon what, are, you know, the cognitive uh, way of understanding uh, 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 feng shui because wind really is about your mind how is your uh, mind your psyche affected by the environment affected by the space you're within this is the wind so if the wind and water is being impacted in you it means that your physiological body including everything from your nervous system and your blood through your chi um, and then your mind, the wind, the psychology, how co mentally comfortable do you feel within an area? This is the feng and shui and how it's impacting uh, upon you. So originally feng shui um, goes back to sort of old Chinese beliefs uh, that you shouldn't be near a, a, a graveyard. Ultimately, graveyards were considered what they call yin dwellings, uh, a place of extreme yin, ultimately, where they stick the dead, right? I mean, death is pretty yin. You can't really deny that. That's about as yin as it gets with regard to a state of existence. Uh, so yin dwellings, the idea was that if you had a, a graveyard um, and there was then ghosts would hang around the graveyard. And there's all sorts of teachings in uh, ancient Chinese belief around sort of ghosts. So after someone dies, they tend to hang around the bones for a period of time. The ghosts hang around the bones uh, until such time is ready to depart. And if, if you had a, a graveyard and a house was near to it, it would uh, create 
ill omen for the house. Even now, lots of Chinese won't go home after they've been to a graveyard um, until they've been out of the house, uh, sort of between the graveyard and going home. They'll spend quite a few hours out of the house and maybe visit a temple to get purified and cleansed before they go home because they don't want to carry the ghostly spirits home with them. Something that might sound strange to people in the West. But of course, there's a lot of people on the planet that hold those belief systems. And, and sometimes I think in the West that we forget just by uh, sheer volume of numbers of people in China and Asia that we're actually in the minority with our beliefs. You know, there's there's a lot of people around the world who, who still hold this to those kind of uh, ideas that you shouldn't uh, hang around the graveyard too much and <laughs> without expecting some kind of influence from the spirits there. So the idea was that on top of the, the ghost dwellings, the inn dwellings, the graveyards, you also had long mai, like uh, dragon lines, very similar to uh, ley lines, I suppose, how we would understand them, lines of, of conducted conductive influence through the earth. But you had different types of, of long mai, dragon lines. You had dragon lines that were independent of the environment, much like a grid uh, that just ran over an environment. Uh, and then you had uh, dragon lines that were influenced by the shape of the environment. So if you had a line of hills or mountains, essentially the, the dragon energy would flow around those bodies um, in various ways directed by the environment. So if you had a line of mountains or hills, for example, or whatever whatever the body was, and it directed that line through the graveyard, and you, on a map you could draw a line from the graveyard to your house, you know, so the environment was directing the chi that direction, then it meant that the graveyard would direct the quality of the dead, or this negative impacting quality, through your place of living. Um, and in ancient times, they, they blamed lots of illnesses and sicknesses on, on this, uh, this poor spiritual quality of the dead being passed through your house. So whether that's your belief system or not, it's kind of irrelevant. It doesn't matter. I, I can't even say it's something I particularly concern myself with or anything like that. It's only that I, uh, when I look at it, I, I try to understand the culture from which the art uh, came. Even even if I'm studying an art and I, I really don't agree one way or the other with, uh, agree one at all, sorry, with the tradition that it came from, I still need to understand the tradition because I still need to know the mindset of the people that formulated the art, you know. And feng shui was, a lot of it was around this, you know, understanding how to position houses properly. From here, uh, they then developed feng shui more and they started to look at Okay, so we have these yin dwellings. We want to avoid those. We don't ghosts hanging around that bedroom. Um, but then after that, they start to look at, okay, well, how are the landforms impacting upon uh, the chi of our body and the chi the of our mind, the shen, and how are they impacting upon where we live? Because uh, if the environment has a very strong influence on us, maybe, first of all, we can mitigate any negative qualities from the environment and then after that maybe we can sort of maximize positive qualities from the environment because if there's negative things the environment can do to us then surely there's positive things too so with this kind of logic led to the development of a lot of the feng shui teachings around where to position your house and where to develop your house for me uh you know it's it's just that it's just so obvious that if i have a space that i'm living in all of the time um, I have a house that I'm in. I mean, I travel a lot for teaching and I'm, I'm always jetting around the planet back to Asia to see teachers, uh, different places to run workshops. But I always come home to the same space where all my belongings are. Uh, and essentially when I'm in that space, 
to me, that space, because it's where I live all the time, is a reflection of who I am. My belongings are here, my wife's belongings, of course. Um, and, you know, th this is our space, it's a reflection of us, and it also impacts back upon us as well. It's almost like psychologically you have a, and energetically, you have a symbiotic relationship with the space that you live in, and one will impact the other. Uh, before you even get into feng shui, on a simple level, I, I when I worked... Um, uh, in in the social work field when I was younger I worked in mental health and you could often tell the mental health of a client it wasn't an exact science of course and you you know you couldn't use it to <laughs> justify any of your uh, sort of legal proceedings or anything but it was it was pretty much guaranteed that you can tell how mentally healthy somebody was by the quality of their house you could walk into the house and by the way they kept it and the way they arranged their belongings and whether there was you know piles of rubbish in the corner and just chaos all over the work surfaces you could kind of tell what their mental state was even people who you would say don't have a clear psychiatric illness um, you go into the house and if the house is cluttered with piles of stuff all over the place and things like that uh, like a lot of houses are then you already know that that person's mind is pretty cluttered um, you, you could say it's something sort of subconscious that they express their mind into the environment around them or you could make it much more basic uh, and say that when the you open your eyes and you look into a room that's full of crap piled up all over the place and bits of junk and there's old leaflets and flyers and you know takeaway flies all over the place that because you're seeing all of that junk and that disorder it's going to have an impact upon you so the mind gets busy you know i mean whichever way you look at it it doesn't matter there's definitely a, a shared quality between the two one of the first things that i tell a lot of my students who were into going beyond you know the basics of qigong and martial arts if they want to look at cultivation actual cultivation of the spirit one of the first things i tell them is that you have to order every aspect of your life so if your room is a mess and you don't pile your you know you don't line up your belongings properly and you don't keep everything in orderly fashion you've got absolutely no hope of cultivation uh, it, it can't happen because you you're not you don't have an orderly life then you won't have an orderly mind the two have to go hand in hand if it's, it's you know no coincidence that lots of militaristic <laughs> type training to develop and focus the mind tends to have very uh, a good emphasis on neatness and ordering your space and things like that. I remember, uh, you know, running retreats. Well, I still do, I guess, but I used to run very long retreats, uh, three months long they were, um, and people would live in sort of uh, tents, bell tents and you know, sort of yurt-type structures over that time. And, and when you stuck your head through, uh, through the door of the tent, you'd look and you'd just see belongings piled up all over the place just mess and stuff like that in some people's tents and, and generally those people in the vast majority of cases were the ones with the messy minds they they couldn't focus on their training particularly they couldn't they couldn't cultivate they might get the movements right but there there was no development of spirit you know whereas those people who could structure and order things a little bit better um, tended to be more orderly with their mind and, and by getting those students to deal with their mess often their minds would tidy up as well. Again, I know this sounds really basic, but it's if you can understand this, you already understand like the shallowest levels of feng shui, you know, the most sort of basic tenets of it. From here, to understand feng shui, we want to understand how from the cognitive level, so ignoring things like bioelectric fields in the environment or anything like this, anything esoteric star patterns or anything like fuck that, that's too complicated for the moment. Let's just start with the absolute basics. And, and this is like what happens when you walk into a space like that to me should be the um, first place that you start looking at feng shui from right what happens when you walk into a space well when you walk into a space obviously the first thing that you do is you look at it 
providing the lights are on of course you can see that there's a there's a visual connection with a space so when i walk into an area what happens is i i can see the room i can see like the room i'm sat in now i can see the ceiling i can see the walls see the floor um, even though I can't see the wall behind me, I kind of have a feeling of where it is because I've been in the room a lot of times. So because I've been in this office uh, where I do these podcasts a lot of times, my mind has built a kind of three-dimensional shape of what this room is like. I have a three-dimensional awareness. I know where everything is. So even when I'm looking at it, I know what I know what's in the room. I know what shape it is, right? But certainly when I go into a new space, the visual connection is there. So you could say that my awareness spreads into and fills the room. That's what happens. It spreads into and, and fills the room so that you can see every part of it, sometimes with your direct vision, sometimes with your uh, peripheral vision, but you still fill the space. When you fill the space, what then happens is your mind starts to build a three-dimensional image of the space. Now, so it knows where the corners are, sort of uh, shapes of the corridors, where the doors are set back and sort of the shape of the ceiling and, and things. So you basically, so you can maneuver around inside that space and not walk into things, you know. So... When this happens, the Chinese belief is that uh, essentially when you look out or when you send uh, information out or you connect into a space, there is a reflection or a reversal back into you. It's like you take something back in. Um, it's so what happens is then what hap what, when your mind goes out and forms a shape within a space, this is reflected within the body. This is the feng shui belief. So... Then we have to start looking at this concept of qi. Yeah? And this is where some people get lost because what are we talking about with qi? Are we talking about movement in the nervous system or a type of energy or, or blood? or it, To me, it doesn't really matter. The model is that your qi inside the body has to go through uh, certain movements and directions that are considered healthy for it. So this is Chinese medicine teachings. So for example, okay, on the left, in the left side of your torso is your spleen. Uh, and your stomach, right? So the spleen and the stomach, the idea is that the chi is supposed to rise. There is an upholding quality to the energy of the spleen. So for example, one pathogenic quality of the spleen is that the spleen chi is sinking. Okay, so spleen, if the spleen chi sinks in Chinese medicine, essentially you're talking about prolapses and things like this, right? So the spleen chi is supposed to rise, okay? What that means essentially is the energy, the chi, whatever you want to call it, is supposed to rise on the left side of your body, okay? This means that in feng shui beliefs, there are some variations of this school to go school, but generally in feng shui, feng shui beliefs, the left side of your body is considered yang, the rising side. Not what most people would think. They would think right side, most people are stronger, that should be yang. But no, the left side is yang because it's where the chi rises inside so your torso, so that the spleen and stomach maintains an upholding energy. On the right side of your body is your liver, okay, on the right side of your torso. And the liver chi is supposed to gently sink uh, to make sure that the liver is subdued. If the if the liver chi is gently, not massive, not really strongly, but gently sinking, then it means that it directs the chi smoothly around your body, and your chi and your blood has a, a smooth flowing quality to it. Pathogenic chi in the liver rises too much. Yeah, it's like the liver will always have a yang exerting influence upon your body so to counter that the left the right side of your body sorry should have a gently sinking energy so it means the right side of your body is yin so if the left side of your body the chi rises too much too strongly then you get uprising of liver chi and you could get stress and headaches and uh, eye strain and all sorts of symptoms you know so 
What this means within the body is that the, the direction of flow, if you like, healthy, should be that the left side goes up and the right side goes down. And within the two side channels of the torso, within the channel system, you get this kind of loop going around, kind of like the microcosmic orbit that people talk about up your back and down your front in Qigong. But it's going up the left and down the right through the inside of the torso to make sure the spleen is upholding and the, and the liver is subduing. So... <clears throat> What this means is that this is reflected in the energies of the mind. So the left side of your mind should have a raising energy and the right side of your mind should have a, a sinking energy. Okay, sinking meaning subduing and, and left side meaning raising. A pathogenic quality within Chinese medicine, a very bad condition, is when that cycle within the body gets reversed. So in... Uh, so now the liver is rising and the spleen is sinking. And in Chinese medicine, sometimes they call that the liver overacting on the spleen, whereas in a lot of classical uh, forms of medicine, they would just say you have a reversal within your side branches. It means the orbit has been reversed, you know. Um, and they would tackle this issue different ways, but ultimately it comes down to these directions of flow. Like most Chinese medicine comes down to directions in the end directions of flow. So how is this relevant to feng shui? Well, Right from the beginning, one of the bases of Chinese medicine, uh, of, sorry, of, I apologize, of feng shui, one of the bases of feng shui, um, is that within a space, okay, you're supposed, they talk about some animals. They talk about the phoenix, the dragon, the tiger, and the turtle, quite common animals in sort of Chinese cosmology. They also correspond to the compass directions and things like this. But the idea is that the, the dragon is supposed to be to your left and the tiger is supposed to be to your right. This is a, a, a simple rule in Chinese medicine. The turtle is supposed to be behind you and the phoenix is in front. So what does this mean? Well, with regards to left and right, first of all, you should understand that the dragon is supposed to be on my left when I am looking forwards. So that means right now to my left, I, I should have a dragon. To my right should be a tiger. How this manifests in with regards to feng shui is the dragon is an up tall object. And the tiger is a low to the ground, uh, you know, it's a crouching tiger. You know, it's a, it's a low object to my right side. So how does this portray to what we do? Say you have, um, okay, in your bed, when you're laying in bed and when you sit up in the morning uh, and you open your eyes, that's the first time that you interact with your bedroom space. So the first room you interact with normally is, is the bedroom when you open your eyes. So when you open your eyes, in your peripheral vision to your left is supposed to be the taller object than in the peripheral vision to your right. So hopefully that makes sense. So it means if I open my eyes in the bedroom, on my left side might be something like, I don't know, a wardrobe. And on the right side might be something like a low chest of drawers. Okay, so I've got more height on my left than my right. Why this happens, why we want this, is because then what happens is when I open my eyes, my peripheral vision, okay, picks up these two forces. So essentially it means that my consciousness is lifted on the left and sunk on the right. What this means is that it matches the healthy direction of chi flow within my body. So every time I open my eyes and I interact with the space, the inside of my body and my mind copy what my mind is doing because ultimately the yi leads the chi. My intention directs the inside of my body. So it means that when I open my eyes and start the day, it means my chi will rise on the left and sink on the right to match the harmonious direction of the dragon and the tiger. If I switch that around and I have the wardrobe on my right and the low chest of drawers on my left, so I'm in the pathogenic direction, every morning when I open my eyes, 
it will create a feeling of stress because the liver organ on my right side will receive an uprising of energy which leads to a feeling of stress. It also means that on the left side there's a dropping of qi which means that my spleen can start to become weak which means I can have a low energy level. So because my mind is leading the qi in this direction because it's copying what it's seeing in the environment around me, I can end up tired and stressed. So feng shui might very simply just switch two items around or, or if they're the same height, make sure the one on the left side is higher. It's just a very simple feng shui thing for by your bedroom. Sometimes what they might do is have, say you've got two um, bedside cabinets the same height, they might put a, I don't know, a bamboo plant on your, you, okay, you don't normally have too many plants in the bedroom, but something that elevates upwards. A common uh, dragon thing is a, is a bamboo plant if you're in other rooms. And, and you have this on the left side of your vision so that this encourages this height, this upwards movement. Sometimes patterns might be put onto the wall that have upwards direction so that subconsciously your mind elevates when it sees this upward direction. And this helps to stimulate this correct rising of energy in the morning and, and you know, and sinking of, of liberty. So if we look at feng shui like that, even with that simple rule, all of a sudden it's not so esoteric anymore, right? It's basically how is your mind perceiving a space and then what does that do to the inside of your body subconsciously, you know? Not not so difficult to see. It reminds me almost of, um, you know, being mentally comfortable. When I look at a space and I'm mentally comfortable, then what happens is my body is physically comfortable too. So if you walk into a space that's erratic and jarring with different patterns and colors and lines everywhere, that's not good for sleeping in, right? You, you'll notice you'll sleep in that room for a while and you, you are very, very tired. If your bedroom is very zen and calm and, and comfortable, when you go into that space and you're comfortable, then your mind becomes comfortable. You generally have a better night's sleep and better energy level. It's not even that hard to figure out, you know. So behind us is supposed to be a turtle. And the turtle, essentially, what they're talking about is the idea of a shell, a protective something, you know, a protective something, so a big wall. So, for example, you wouldn't want the bed, if you're talking about the bed, uh, you wouldn't want it away from the wall with a space behind your head, above your head. You wouldn't want it to be against the wall, so there's a large protective barrier. The idea is that after a while, when you're aware that what a space is like, even if you're not looking at it, you know if there's a wall behind you or not, even with a new space. I mean, if you stand on the edge of a cliff with your back to it, you'll generally know there's a cliff behind you, right? You'll, you've got a feeling of space, subconscious feeling of space. If there's a big open space and no protective shell, the chi is supposed to essentially follow what your mind does. So if my mind is expanding backwards to fill a space that's behind me, what it means is that my chi and my body will do the same. My energy will move to fill that space because my yi, my intention, my awareness will lead the chi in that direction. And the result is that it kind of empties the chi out of the kidneys. So to not have a turtle behind you when you sleep, a headboard or a wall or something, can result in drainage of chi. You can end up with kidney deficiency with a bad back and bad knees and tinnitus and low energy levels again. So we want that space behind us. Now, Already this might be sounding odd, but just try it. Like a really simple level, if you have a bedroom, I'd say we normally instinctively put the bed against the wall, right? Take that bed, pull it to the middle of the room, right? Because it's an experiment for a couple of nights. You've got a big space behind your head and see how comfortable you are. Maybe some people are so dense, <laughs> switched off the environment, they won't notice. But a lot of people will find that they wake up more tired um, and, and things like this because, you know, they're not they don't have that protection behind them. The head is, the mind is expanding to fill a space rather than being consolidated where it should be nice and solid behind you like the shell of a turtle. 
There's many, many rules like this, but I, I'm just choosing these ones as an example of, you know, so you can understand um, a little bit about how feng shui might work, right? We use the space, the physical matter, to direct it in a certain way, so the mind follows certain patterns, so that then this causes the, the chi in the body to follow the same patterns, and this harmonizes the organs and the, the quality of our health, you know. So, if we look at how we align, say we stick with those, okay, uh, these animals. Okay, I, follow, I apologize. I forgot the phoenix. The phoenix is open. It represents the element of fire. It's open and spread. So it means that where we look in front of us should have lots of space. We don't want it cluttered. Because what it means is when my mind goes into the space in front of me, if I've got a big open space, it causes the chi inside my body to open up, copying what my mind is doing, and it spreads and that opens the heart. So it creates a feeling of love or happiness or whatever. Essentially what we call light-heartedness, you know, spreading of the heart because my mind can open the space and I feel the same. If you were to wake up in the morning and you sit straight up and you look straight at, I don't know, a big brick wall right in front of you, there's no space, or maybe it's cluttered, piles of junk in front of you. So the fire element area right in front of you is not open, it's not spread, it's not spacious. The result is the heart can't open. So it creates a feeling of misery or stress or discomfort, a lack of connection, a lack of love. So it can make someone feel sort of numb to other people and to the, and to the world, you know. So imagine that. If you had the feng shui all reversed, you've got a big space behind you, wardrobes on the right, piles of clutter in front of you. When you open your eyes, which is, you know, your action of greeting the day, coming back into the physical non-dream world for the start of the day, if the feng shui is all wrong, you're going to fire up the liver and stress yourself, deplete the spleen, empty the kidneys out and close the heart, leading to a very, very, uh, you know, stressed beginning to the day. And when I was learning feng shui, I always believe the best thing is to feel it. So what I would do is deliberately fuck up the feng shui within a space for a few days to feel it. Sometimes it's easier to feel things that are wrong. Don't do it for six months because it makes you sick, but a couple of nights, just feel it. It's fine, you know. We know that feeling of the heart, of the phoenix being open, if you like, the space in front of us, because We'll instinctively do it. We walk out into a big, wide, open space. Maybe like, I don't know, we're on a mountain and we look at the view and it opens up in front of us. We feel uplifted. Okay, the heart opens up. It's not many people who look out in the amazing view and just feel really stressed. Not the same as when they're in a really cluttered space, you know. And it's simply because the mind is able to spread, uh, which leads the chi in the same way. And that opens the heart center and, and creates a feeling of peace. I remember the first time I ever went into a desert because I'm from the UK and we don't have a lot of deserts. So the first desert I ever went in was America. And I, I went and I walked out into a big open desert expanse. And oh, some, some people hate the desert because how dry it is. But just the feeling of openness, expansion, that phoenix in front of me, that open spread fire element was so calming and soothing. It was just open, you know, great. Very hard to be grumpy and stressed till, till the sun overcooks you and you run out of fluids. And that's a little bit different, you know. <laughs> Not the most hospitable environment, I guess. So we have these these elements in front of us, right? So the idea is that uh, if you were to apply even that simple rule, let's just look at that one. Feng Shui is a big subject, right? So I can only take a couple of rules. Take that and, and you apply it to a space. If you apply even that rule, already you can understand the basis of how you align a room because that alignment should be from the door you enter into a space from. So if I'm walking into a room for, through a door, as I enter the door, my tiger is my sorry, my dragon is on the left, my tiger is on the right, 
and that the phoenix is in front of me. That's what I'm after. The turtle, we can't really help at this stage. The turtle is more important to do with where you sleep, but we want that. So if I walk into a room through the door, I want the large objects, tall objects on the left side of the room and the lower objects on the right side of the room. And if you can just picture that, picture that right now in your imagination just close your eyes and picture i've got a large object on the right on the left sorry very tall i've got a small object on the right how does that feel now in your mind's eye just switch those around like put the tall object on the right in your mind's eye you imagine a big wardrobe on the right and a low object on the left already i would imagine for a lot of you it's it's a little bit less comfortable it's almost like especially if you're quite aesthetically orientated, you're quite design-based, when you look at it, that it doesn't feel right. It's almost grating, you know, for someone with a bit of OCD like me, it's a little bit uncomfortable. And I, I, in my mind's eye, I need, to, I need to switch those objects around to make myself feel comfortable. And it's because it's matching those qualities. So the only exception is the bedroom. The bedroom, the door to the bedroom, in inverted air commas, is the bed because you are entering the bedroom every time you wake up in the morning. But every other room in the house should be when you come through the through the door of that room into the lounge or into the kitchen or, or whatever, you know. So from here, other simple rules. Okay, of course, what I'm explaining to you is how the mind leads the chi in the body, and this is basic feng shui. But then, of course, there's other stuff, the astrological stuff. We'll ignore all of that. Just sticking with the same rule of the mind, right? What do they say? They say that sharp corners in a room can cause the mind, cause the chi to stick. So if you have a very, very sharp corner in a ceiling, often happens if you've got sort of a door set back into a wall or a window set back like a bay window in an old English house or something. You've got a very sharp corner in the, in the ceiling. That can cause the chi to stick. Uh, happens in corridors and feng shui people come through. Oh, so the chi is stuck. And people assume there's some kind of esoteric energy caught in there, caught in that sort of space or something, and they want to clear that energy. It's not what it means. It doesn't mean there's a magic energy in the corner. Once again, it's to do with a sort of visual and mental comfort within a space. So if I walk into a room, and actually the room I'm sat in has quite a sharp corner in the top left. It does have, and actually now I look at it, I should stop being lazy, I should do something about it. I, I'll, I'll change that. Bad, bad example. But you can't see, actually. So if I hadn't told you, you wouldn't have known. Oh, never mind. I've admitted to my weakness. So my top left corner of the room where I'm looking now has quite a sharp sort of corner. It's a very high ceiling, very set back. There's an air conditioning unit in the corner because it's quite hot in this country, in Portugal where I live, and it's quite a far back. And the feng shui, the chi would essentially be stuck in that corner. So what that means, it means if I just look forward uh, into the room, uh, which I'm doing right now, within my peripheral vision at the top left of my vision, I can feel it. It's like that corner is too far set back, so it's pulling my mind. It's pulling my mind. If you're in a room right now, sat down, listen, don't do not do this if you drive in the car right now, listen to this, you'll just crash. But if you're in a, a room right now and you're, you're listening to this, just, just look forward into the space, okay, and let your peripheral, look up a little bit with your eyes and just let your peripheral vision be able to perceive the top corners of the room and feel what your mind does. Okay, if there's a corner that's further away, like my top left corner is, it's like my awareness is pulled to that corner. If you imagine the mind filling a space, and if the space is even, it's comfortable, but you have a corner that's further away, it starts to lead the mind towards that space. And after a while, it's almost like, once you've done this a bit and you get used to how your mind fills a space, it becomes like niggling, you know? Like, like when you can see a, well, for me, when I'm reading a, a book, maybe a page, and I see a little typo, 
a little little stupid typo, like which is my books are full of them because I'm crap at editing, but a little typo. And after a while, you, you, you can't help but see the typo. It's annoying. It like gets you. It's that OCD side of your nature again. It's, it's like, oh, I, the whole page is wrong because I just see that typo. Yeah, maybe I'm a little bit over the top, but it's the same with the corner of the room. It pulls the mind and it niggles on me and it starts to grab me. Because my mind is like quite aware of that sharp corner, and pulled towards it, especially now I'm sat here, it's so all I can see is that top left corner, it's bug bugging me now, and it's pulled up towards that corner, it means the chi in that side of my body, the left side of my body will also start to stick inside of me as well. So it means that smoothness of flow of energy of chi through my body, which ultimately then relates to smoothness of thoughts, thought processes and things, will also become stuck, will get caught. So because I'm quite uh, aware of my body, because I do, I've done qigong for a really, really long time, and I'm not, I'm not one of these overly sensitive people who constantly getting sick because I don't know the deities are in this corner and the ghosts are affecting me and the alignment of the planets have entered retrograde. I don't know, whatever. I'm not one of those people who get sick from all that, but I am quite aware of subtle sensations of stimulations of qi and nerves through the body um, as my mind interacts with the body, and, and just sat within the space because the top left corner is is pulling. It's too far away. Uh, and it's too high and it's too sharp an angle. It's actually making a little bit of sort of uh, pressure. The nerves are being overstimulated on my sort of top left of my head, on my, my left temple. So if I were to spend a long time in this space, um, then what will happen is it will start to pressurize chi there and ultimately can lead to headaches. Um, which actually, I, now I come to think of it, I do get headaches when I'm in here sometimes. So yeah, I should sort that corner out, shouldn't I? Lazy me. So what's happening is the subconscious mind is then pulling the energy within my body that creates that sort of stuckness. So how they deal with it is they, they break up the corner. So if you look at what they do within feng shui, they'll often either put something that creates a line, it's almost like a striking line through that space, like the rafter of a, a beam or something like that, or, the, or they'll hang a, uh, often a, a common one is to hang like a glass crystal up in there, you know, like these cheap ones you get in hippie shops in alternative towns like Glastonbury or sort of most of California or something like that they, they they'll hang a, a quartz uh, you know like a cut glass crystal up in the corner there's many many ways of doing it. it's just a very simple one um, and partially what that does is when light goes into the room and it hits the crystal it reflects the lights you go as little sort of speckled colors on the walls and when your mind perception goes to that corner and instead of just perceiving the corner it also perceives all of the speckles on the wall and it's like your attention is drawn away from the corner into the speckled patterns and because your mind is dispersed in that corner then the corner is no longer said to have chi stuck it means the mind is spread it's seeing all of the lights touching the wall which means the energy inside my body and um, which will be everything from channels through the nervous system reaction will spread at the same time because my vision is dispersed and therefore no the corner is not negative anymore. Feng Shui would say that corner is all right. We're happy with that. So does it mean some magical energy is stuck in the corner of the room? No, not at all. It's not like, you know, some kind of gas that gets caught there. It's not to do with that. It just means the mind is perceiving the sharpness of the corner and it's causing my chi to stick. So as soon as I disperse my awareness, disperse my visual connection to the corner, um, which could be done with a painted pattern or, or a pot plant in the corner with sort of spidery leaves that spreads it out, uh, then then that will uh, change the way my mind sees the space and then the energy inside my body. It's quite easy, right? Like feng shui on this level, what I call a cognitive feng shui works like this. Hong Kong, if you've ever been to Hong Kong, there's a good example of that. 
because the Hong Kong on the on one of the islands have all the banks, and you've probably seen photos of it. You look up Feng Shui Hong Kong Bank on Google Images, you'll see it. What they got is the Hong Kong Bank. I think it's Hong Kong, but the, the main bank there has a tall skyscraper and it's got these zigzag lines on it. If you look at the zigzag lines on the on the skyscraper, initially they just look like some kind of cool design of like diamond patterns down the building. But then if you look closely, what you see is the lines are actually like pointing down at competitive it's competitors, the other banks in the area, you know, so they're like these sharp lines from the tall skyscraper cutting right into the, the opposing banks. And it's quite an example, a famous example of feng shui. Um, because they use feng shui this is feng shui weaponized feng shui if you like and people don't understand how it works because they're like well because i mean that bank is very successful right and they're like is it firing magic chi out of these lines on it into into the neighboring banks and it's not no not at all what it is is because when you stand and you look at the skyline of the island and you see all the banks lined up your mind goes to the tall one in the middle the the skyscraper and then your your mind's eye will naturally follow the zigzag lines that are along the length of the skyscraper just like if you look at a painting and i don't know if you know much about uh, paintings but they arrange it often so that so the landscape draws your eyes into a central point so the horizon will dip in and then that will lead you to the center of the painting and a painting with poor composition doesn't lead your eye eye properly and it's the same with the building because these sharp zigzag lines will draw your mind's eye to the building and then down subconsciously towards the opponents the opposing banks you know and after a while when you look at it every time you see it every day in hong kong your subconscious starts to perceive these symbols and then see the central bank as higher and you'll start to uh, air commas again you know subconsciously look down on the other banks yeah so when you're looking down on the other banks your chi is sinking if you like your awareness is sinking towards those so they'll hold after a while, you hold less value in those banks. It's just a subconscious trick of the mind. I look at the tall bank, the lines are causing me to subconsciously direct this downward intention onto the banks around me. And, and you might be able to understand how that works, right? It's like a form of sort of subtle hypnosis or uh, auto-suggestion, not hypnosis, that's not right, is it? Like auto-suggestion, like um, subliminal, like subliminal advertising or something. You know, you see the lines, points down the banks. After a while, you don't respect them so much. So then when you go to open a bank account, where do you go? straight to the one in the middle, the one that has the upward energy that is defeating the other banks, because why would you want to go to a bank that you hold less respect for? So the feng shui is once again working on that cognitive level to me, like affecting your subconscious to, to create the desired effect. So does all feng shui work like this? No, 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 not at all, but, but a lot of it does, a lot more than people think, you know. So when they want to control how your mind perceives a space they don't want your mind to rush through a space for example so if i walk into a room and i walk in the door straight opposite me is another door big open door or maybe like big patio windows um, and then just a straight shot through the middle of the room or something towards that space that's no good because what happens is like your mind doesn't even perceive the space you're in it perceives the space beyond the room you're in i didn't explain that very well did i okay start again so I walk into a room, I walk in the door. What happens when I walk into the room? Straight across from me is another door. Okay, so a door opposite or maybe large French patio windows or something. And all I can see is the view, the garden. Yeah, so I walk in the door and I'm, I'm confronted with the garden on the opposite wall, you know, just this amazing view. The room is empty between me and the other door. Yeah, so what it means is when I walk into the room, instead of seeing the room, what I'll see 
is the other door and I'll see the view outside the door. I'll see the garden. And it means my subconscious skips this room. It's like I've not noticed the room. I've just noticed the view. And they would call this leaking chi. Yeah. So what it means is because I'm, my mind is not interacting with the space I'm in, I'm not building up a subconscious connection to it. And ultimately, I'll place no importance on the room and I'll, I'll derive no benefit from the room. And, and you'll notice if you have those kind of rooms in your house, just if you've got a big house and you've got these kind of rooms, just watch. You'll notice people won't necessarily like to be in that room. It's like their subconscious doesn't have enough connection to it, so they don't recognize the room. They'll just they'll just go hang out somewhere else. And a lot of times people will have this in their lounge. They'll have this just big open lounge, big open windows into the garden, and, and the chi is leaking. Consequently, everybody will just collect in the kitchen, <laughs> socialize in the kitchen, nobody will use the lounge. So what they then do is they break up um, the space. So they might do it with furniture to create sort of subtle barriers barriers can be wrong but they'll do it in a certain way so that your mind's eye doesn't go straight out of the room out the other end but maybe it's drawn to the corners of the space by where they place the couch or where they place plants or patterns on the walls and things like this uh, or maybe they'll have like a winding pattern on the floor to sort of break up your awareness so that instead of your subconscious just going straight out the door opposite you it perceives the space and is broken up and takes in more of the room. And when your subconscious takes in more of the room, because just like when you're looking at painting, your mind is being led out into that space, you know, the, the layout of, is leading you into that space, then they say that your chi is no longer leaking. It's moving into that space. You're interacting with the room. And now all of a sudden that room will have a function. And when you do that, what you can find within a house is people will stop gravitating towards the kitchen to socialize and they'll move into the lounge to start to socialize because now that space has been changed enough that your your consciousness perceives it. Now, it's all very subtle auto-suggestion tricks. So could you say that that's all a feng shui? I mean, does that oversimplify feng shui? The foundations of it maybe a little bit. But remember that the key to it is what your mind does, the chi on the inside of your body copies. So if you have a, a space that's leading your mind into it, then it will spread your chi inside the body as well so that the space essentially becomes healthy, like a, a healthy, healthy space for you to be in. Normally after they've done, they've looked at the five, uh, the, sorry, the four animals within a space, uh, another common theory that I think uh, works in the same way is something called the nine palaces. Nine palaces is a key aspect of many um of many sort of feng shui systems okay so what that means is when you walk into a room they divide a room or even a house sometimes but they divide a room into nine sections uh, sort of a, a grid three by three and if you look online and type in nine palaces feng shui and go and google images you'll find it you'll find lots of examples of it and what they what they say is that each of these nine palaces corresponds to um, a different uh, mental or spiritual quality or a different quality of your life so generally the main rooms in your house want to have healthy nine palace correspondence so if i go from sort of top left and i, I read through them the, the the top row of the nine palaces which would be the rows you're looking at includes wealth reputation and the quality of your partner sort of husband wife partner or whatever then the middle row is your family, your physical health, and how creative are you? And then closest to you as you come in the door is your knowledge palace, your life path, and your, your sort of sociability friendship uh, palace. So we've got this three by three grid that you can find online, like you don't have to memorize it. 
And what happens is your main room, especially your lounge, the, your, the sort of heart of your house, should have healthy alignments uh, within those palaces. So the palaces are set up according to the animals. And, and if we want to understand how they work, uh, then we need to look at you know, what's going on. So when I walk in the room to my lounge, say we're doing a lounge, going to the nine palaces, straight opposite me, uh, on the room opposite, right in the center is what they call the reputation palace. Okay, that's considered like the most important one, the kind of hard palace, yeah? Like your reputation, how are you perceived? Yeah, like what, what, um, you know, what, what aspects of you are people, uh, are people valuing and things like this, right? It's supposed to be on that wall that if you were a spiritual practitioner, you would have your shrine, for example your shrine. If you were a businessman, you might have uh, images related to your business or whatever. You know, it, it's the part that emphasizes you. If you're a sportsman, you might want sporting things or, you know, whatever you need to succeed in in life goes on that reputation palace space. So that when you walk into the room in the, essentially the Phoenix region, the expanding fire element area, when your heart opens into that space, within the center of your heart is placed that which you have to have what your reputation for. So for example, in my training space, that's where the, the altar and the shrine goes because I'm, as well as a Tai Chi practitioner, I'm also a spiritual practitioner within Taoism and, and Buddhism actually. But when I walk into the space on the wall opposite is the shrine. So when my heart opens and my mind is most spread and most open and my chi is most open, there on the reputation palace is the thing that is most important to me so that my mind interacts with it and that starts to essentially create a feedback loop, which then influences how I perceive myself, which then will influence how I am. You know, it's a form of sort of, um, I guess, sort of self-affirming something or other that I have on that wall, you know, to self-affirm what I want to be or how I perceive myself, which ultimately then affects how other people perceive me. That's why for business people, it might be a, something relating to their business or, or something like that, you know. But I'm not a businessman, so I, I have my altar there, my shrine. Then to the... The right of that is your partnership place. So normally they advise that you have sort of, um, you know, in the lounge, if it was a lounge, sort of photos that represent you and your wife or you and your husband or you and your partner, or whatever, you know, uh, sort of coupling type things. And it's on the corner of the room on the right side where the energy should sink, right? It's on the, the tiger aspect. Yeah, it's the tiger mixed with the with the phoenix because it's got the open spreadness of being opposite you, but the sinking energy of the right. So what it means is I have an open heart to my partner, but also a relaxed and sinking. I don't want stress with my partner. So for example, I wouldn't want the partnership balance, which is you walk in a room is on your right, is the right corner of the room to your right side in the corner. I wouldn't want that space to have a lot of uprising energy, lots of tall bamboo plants and things like this, things that cause my subconscious mind to rise because it will create stress. Uh, it will start to create stress. And because that's that corner that affects this part of my energy, it can actually create uh, stress within the relationship. So what I want is a very calming, soothing corner when I walk in. So in our house, for example, it's also where we have in the lounge, we have uh, essentially pictures of our marriage up in the corner. Um, it's a very calming corner, all painted white. I have different colors on the different walls, but that one's white. Um, and also the, the sort of corner sofa is there. So it's a space where we relax. So it means that in that corner, um, I have a relaxing open uh, corner so that the, the palace related to that part of my mind that understands my relationship is relaxed and smooth to help us have a relaxed uh, and calm and healthy relationship free of stress and I can certainly say that the relationship with my wife is is free from stress and very calm so 
who knows maybe the feng shui on the right wall in the middle of that right wall is the creativity palace which is also supposed to be sunk and spread you know so that your, your mind is open and and in the and this is all matching the sort of tiger the sinking uh, I won't go through all of them, but basically on the left wall, the other wall, you know, is things like wealth and knowledge, things like this. And this wants to have an uprising energy, right? So on this wall, you've got tall pieces of furniture. So in my lounge, when you walk in on the left-hand corner in the wealth palace, uh, you know, wealth is not a dirty word. You need to have enough abundance to survive, right? We have tall furniture that, that means that that part of my brain, the left side of my vision that affects the way that my energy arises on the left side that corresponds to wealth has an uprising energy so my chi my energy in the body will rise up and influence that part of my mind means that I'm, I'm better at business and i'm more likely to encourage wealth into my life so it's a common um, thing that if someone's suffering with finances they a feng shui person will go to that left corner that far left corner and maybe put plants or uprising objects things that direct the mind up so that the chi is raised essentially on the spleen side so you cognitively can problem solve and 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 sort of increase the wealth and abundance in your house and how efficiently you do things you know but again it's all you know this is i won't go through all of them you can figure them out for yourself if you look online but ultimately what i'm saying is that what they're doing is that same thing again they're using the space to direct your vision to direct your subconscious movement of the mind so it fills the space in a certain way so that then the energy on the inside of your body will uh, follow to it follow it to a certain extent which will create a, uh, a healthy uh, flow of chi and a healthy relationship between the organs because feng shui is based on the idea that the heart should be open spread which doesn't sound that weird does it you don't what do you want a closed heart that doesn't sound good does it heart should be open you know the the liver should be smooth the, the spleen should be raised uh the the chi of the back which essentially is the kidneys as well as the strength of your spine should be nice and sort of consolidated and pillar like and and strong so you don't want that all leaking and then your lungs which is to do largely, it's a little bit different this one, isn't it? The lungs is to do with how contained within a space it is. I, sh I should add that. So the lungs want to feel like a space is contained. You don't want it too open because you're leaks. So you like a completely glass house with glass walls all the way around. The town I live in has quite a few of those. These sort of trendy houses essentially look like goldfish bowls popping up around where you just your whole life is on view for everybody. I've seen quite a lot of them in sort of um, Malibu and Santa Barbara when I've driven through there and got these sort of big glass houses. This would be bad for the lung energy because it's too spread. It's not contained. Yeah, it's, not, it's like everything is too open. So you leak, it will create a weakness in the lung energy. But at the same time, you don't want a room that's got like no windows and big dark walls and is really oppressive, essentially like a cellar or a dungeon because that will weaken the lungs because it's too restrictive the lungs like to be open but like gently hugged but not squeezed so the as the overall quality of the of the room it's sort of nourishing containedness or not overly openness is what um, affects the chi that controls the lungs to affect your your breathing and and the mental quality of the po attached to the lungs you know so this is what you're trying to harmonize um within a space you know and then they all have all sorts of other rules that they apply you know they generally want uh you know that the most important part of the house is considered the uh front door right you walk in the, the front door and often you have like a little sort of a porch or a corridor or an entrance way uh, in a house it needs to be open 
free, not cluttered. And most people's front doors are cluttered, aren't they? They've got all their coats hung up and sometimes they've got a push bike in there and shoes and you have to kind of push past all the belongings. But we always want the front of the house to be open, nice and open. So you walk in the front door and you enter space. Because what it means is as soon as you walk into your house, which is that place you associate with your your home base your nest and you open that door your mind spreads it goes ah and it fills the space and when it fills the space your chi opens up your energy opens up and then the house becomes a a a relaxing place for you a place to be and and your mind can calm down there so then your house becomes like a little haven away from the stresses of life if you walk in and you have to step through clutter it means what happens as soon as you open your front door and your mind interacts with that space that associates with home and rest. Instead, it meets clutter and it can't fill the space and it just hits that mess. And after a while, it means that your mental connection to your house becomes messy. So then it doesn't become a place of rest anymore. And it doesn't matter how much time you spend there, it becomes sort of stressful and a bit sort of it's uncomfortable. And I've known people who are like that. And consequently, what they'll do is they'll love staying in hotel rooms because normally hotel rooms are really clean and tidy and unless you're in a really shit hotel, you know. But then they go back to their own house and it's not restful. And I I had someone that I I worked with and I was trying to help them um, and their house was a mess and and they used to literally have to go to hotels to get a restful night's sleep. It was kind of something they did. We go there, hotels, have a rest. As soon as they adjusted the feng shui of the house to match the sort of nine palaces and the, the four animals and they, they opened up the, the front door space, all of a sudden the house became such a restful space they didn't need the hotel rooms anymore. It wasn't that some magical line of chi had been moved through, but it was just because their visual connection to the space affected how their mind was, which affected their uh, you know mental faculties and then the quality of the energy within the room, and all of a sudden it was working for them. So, so the space became a healthier uh, it became a healthier influence upon them ultimately. The last one really to consider, I'd, like feng shui is huge. And for some people who are into feng shui, already have knowledge, listen to this, you might think, oh God, that demo, what is he doing? He's oversimplified and bastardized feng shui down to like this really overly basic thing. And yeah, yeah, possibly I have. Um, but part of the reason is I, I'm not talking about all the really complex aspects of feng shui. There's loads, there's talismanic aspects to it. Um, there's different sort of uh, tricks we can use to pull dragon lines in or bend them away from buildings. There's ghost wall. I know it's very, very complicated. There's a sort of star patterns within a room and a numerological thing. I know, I know there's all of this, of course. But firstly, they should all be based on the Uh, foundations which is something like this how comfortable and harmonized is your mind within a space that's the rule that's the foundation so it has to be there first Um, and secondly like this is the kind of feng shui i'm talking about now that i think should be um embraced i suppose by the kind of i don't know don't know what you call it the casual practitioner the lay practitioner of feng shui whatever you want to call it you know the casual practitioner of feng shui who's maybe into the chinese arts into qigong uh, in the Tai Chi, understands that they want their mind to be comfortable within a space and space and want the space to work for them. But they don't want to get into all the nitty gritty of the kind of things that a professional feng shui consultant would do. And uh, that's all just complex. And you don't want to spend your life studying it. So the knowledge I'm talking about here, this way of working your house is kind of just a basic way of sort of getting into it in a casual fashion and waking your, waking your space work for you. And I think that's wise. Um, I've talked with feng shui, people are really into it before, and professional consultants in places like Singapore and things like this where there's a lot of it. Um, and they get really snobby and they're like, oh, the seven star patterns, like flying star patterns. 
But forget all that. Just get the foundations sorted for your house and try and understand the things I'm talking about. And already you'll make the space really nice. You know. The last one I talk about really is the uh, is the turtle. This quality of the turtle, because obviously we can apply that in the bedroom with the space behind us, but we can't apply it in. Uh, our rooms when we walk in a door because generally behind you is a space so the turtle obviously being like the shell protective behind you ultimately what they're talking about is the house the house so this is a tricky one because if you already bought a house you can't you know you shouldn't just move just because the turtle is not in place but ultimately means is behind your house if you're looking out of your front door behind your house wants to be some kind of shell if you want for want of a better term some kind of cover if there are a large hill um, or woodland or something like that that's considered the best and out of your front door when you look out should be like the phoenix nice and open um, which just sounds like common sense isn't it the back of your house house is protected by something and the front of your house is is open so that when you're in your house because you're you know you've seen your surroundings many times you're subconsciously aware of your surroundings um, and and how the house is that you have this feeling uh, of being protected behind, which means that she will consolidate in the kidneys and, and open up in the heart. So then the overall quality of the house will be one of like openness, relaxation and, and strength uh, and rest for the kidneys. When people look for a house, according to feng shui, this is the first thing they look for. So if you imagine like just on a basic level, like how comfortable is your mind if you have a house where behind the house is a hill and in front of the house is a big open space compared to in front of the house is a hill. So you look out your front door and all you see is a hill, <laughs> like a block, you can't see the horizon. And behind your house is a big open space. I don't know about you, but for me, the second one is uncomfortable. I don't like that. I don't want to look out my door and see a big bloody brick wall and behind my house be open. I want it the other way around. And generally houses are built that way so that you could have got a view or something. I think that's very, very important. That's the sort of balance of the turtle and the, and the tiger, uh, and the phoenix, sorry. I don't know, animals and getting them mixed up. But in some cases, actually, people's health can be affected by that. So there was someone I was working with who had uh, essentially a big lake behind their house. So not just a big open space, but a bigger body of water. So the house didn't face the lake. It was behind them. And actually, everybody in the house started to get really exhaustion and fatigue and, and even develop kidney problems and things like that. Um, and and when one of them moved out of the house actually their kidneys started to repair and get better so the feng shui had actually impacted upon them quite a lot and that's not most people most people there'd be a, a small subtle influence but to these guys it was it was quite big you know it was quite a lot so one simple way that a person could change that if they own the house obviously you can't do it if you rent it would be to like switch where the front door is like change it round so the front door is on the other side of the house so it opens over the lake because if if the lake had been in front of the house so when i walk out the front door and i see this lake that would have been perfect um, because now subconsciously the front of my house is is opening my heart to create relaxation rather than the back of my house has this openness which causes the leakage of the of the kidney chi because i know there's a space behind me and and animals are all the same humans are the same if if we you know want to feel protective we want a wall behind us right you don't want this big open space where anything can sneak up behind you at any moment and it's not protected and it's you know we like shelter and corners and subconsciously we like to be able to have something behind our back right because that supports us and take away fears and anxieties that drain the kidneys and these are all kind of like subconscious ideas based within us that that also form part of the the feng shui you know so i don't want to I don't want to talk about it too much. I don't want to go on and turn this into like a, 
<laughs> multiple hour thing on feng shui because all i wanted to do was interest introduce a couple of basic ideas uh, the key thing for me like I say is where the yi goes the chi flows or whatever you're rather crass saying but it means that what your awareness does the energy on the inside of the body does as well and, and if you can keep that in mind you can already understand a lot of feng shui the mind should always be comfortable within a space so when it fills a space it's comfortable it's happy it's aesthetically pleased pleased it's soothed by that space and then the energy and the harmonization of the organs and the chi and the nervous system inside your body will also start to match it as well this is ultimately what you're trying to do if you want to make your rooms comfortable start applying the rule of the the animals to it you want always want spaces to be free of clutter because that affects the phoenix you know the, uh, the, the sort of spreading of the heart the fire element you want sharp corners gone from the rooms they want to be broken up with either images or patterns or uh, the crystals if you like just to, the crystals so they disperse the light right not refract the light not for their sort of magical properties or anything because cut glass crystals are good enough um, and look at the pictures on your walls right pictures to suggest up okay pictures of tall trees pictures of mountains pictures of buildings they want to be on the correct wall the wall corresponding to the uh, to the uh, the dragon because again your mind will see those and perceive upwards movement so as images related to calm and sinking and the sea and the beach and this sort of plateaus and sort of views and things like that want to be on the other wall related to the tiger because then your mind will perceive calm and sinking um, and things like that and these kind of things you want to look at and, and and to learn this kind of feng shui this way of understanding the absolute basics of mind interacting with a space you can do it by just sitting in a room and, and f like looking at it. Just spend a few minutes just feeling it. Feel inside your body how comfortable is it. You can already spot most of the feng shui errors on this level. And then using your mind's eye, what I do is I just use my imagination to rearrange the items around me. Just visualize moving them and you can feel what happens to the energy inside of the body. And you'll find that if you follow the rules that I'm talking about here, most of the adjustments for feng shui you can you can make yourself anything more complex than that then you'll need to get a, a professional in to to look at sort of numerology and astrology and things like that so i hope this was okay i mostly did this because i get so many questions on feng shui how do i start with feng shui what books to read what books do i buy and things like that who to trust who to listen to and there's loads of great books and there's loads of feng shui practitioners to listen to but i think that self-empowerment is major on something like this and, and if you can get the foundations done you might find you don't need anything else and that's why i wanted to answer this and just sort of share a, a version of feng shui what i call cognitive feng shui that you can kind of apply yourself um to a space like i do within apart from that top left corner of this room i need to sort that later um that i apply to a space and to make my house comfortable and and uh, work for me and most people who walk into my house so the first thing they say is oh it's very comfortable very very nice in here and, and i think it's because they're ultimately feeling what the space is doing to the energy of their their body you know uh, thank you very much uh, good luck with the feng shui and i hope you don't have to knock too many walls down to uh, <laughs> follow these rules